Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. It is yin and yang. Light is the left hand of darkness. How did it go? Light, dark, fear, courage, cold, warmth, female, male. It is yourself, both and one, a shadow on snow. Ursula Le Guin. And then I did no preparation and got to Japan and it was the hottest summer on record and my shoes didn't fit and I don't speak Japanese and I got charged by a boar my first day Spent the third day collapsing from dehydration. Two weeks in, I was uh, hiding out from guards in a toilet stall all night. I broke a piece of an ancient temple and got a leg infection. Uh, And then I ran off because I was like, I don't know how much ancient temples cost. Uh, You know, in my own idiocy, because these temples are rebuilt constantly. It's not like wood lasts a thousand years. But I was such an idiot. I was just like, oh, man. And so ran off, got a leg infection, because that's how karma works. And uh, then a couple of days after getting my leg infection, taking care of it, the doctor got into a karate match with a priest on a mountaintop at dusk, which was the coolest thing ever. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Oh, 
Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod, also known as Conversations with Cool Hiking People. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, help us out. Take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, on to this week's content. It is my pleasure to have author and adventurer Paul Barak on this week's episode. Paul has quite the hiking resume and a very interesting hiking memoir titled Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains from his time on the Shikoku pilgrimage in Japan. Welcome to the pod, Paul. Thanks, Doc. Glad to be on. So I know in America, and I know you've done a lot of American hiking as well, that um, we pick up trail names. And I'm wondering, just from your time on the PCT, and is it the Colorado Trail? Colorado Trail, yeah. Yeah, if you've picked up a trail name during that time. Oh, yeah. I picked up a trail name my first day on the PCT, which was Snake Eyes. Uh, because I would consistently just walk past gigantic rattlesnakes without seeing them. Like it took me, it took me longer than I'm willing to say for me to actually acknowledge there was any danger next to me. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That might be a good thing. You know, just not having to deal with the fear of that. Uh, I mean, it's cool till they start rattling and then they, you realize they're a foot away from you. Uh, but yeah, ignorance is bliss, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we go strictly by trail names on the pod here. So from this point forward, I'm going to call you snake eyes. Sounds good. Okay. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? I haven't. I've been really busy. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, no apology necessary. I only ask because we have a regular feature that I want to make sure that you're aware of. And that is the pro tip insight of the week. And what that is, that's a segment towards the end of the episode where I will, I will turn to you and I will ask you, Snake Eyes, what is your pro tip inside of the week? What tip, trick, a uh, bit of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even more epic? So, oh, man. I think I got one. Okay. All right. Don't, don't, let, don't let go of that and don't, nope. share, don't share it too early because if you nope, share something during the episode. Up. Yeah, it's then, not going to come it, true. I know. You got you to <laughs> think of something else. Okay. Very good. Hey, Snake Eyes, another, re- another feature we've been doing this season is the must-bring gear review. Ooh. Here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. Mm. So what is your must-bring piece of gear? Oof. Can I do a twofer? Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, the must bring piece of gear, which I did not have on my PCT trip and made most of my nights miserable is for the love of God, get a good puffy, like a Patagonia puffy, especially a brightly colored one. Mine's neon green is I have made up for not having that on the PCT by wearing that consistently. It is comfortable. It is, packs up so tiny i've been able to fit it into a stuff sack the size of a softball and 
pays dividends. If you're cold at night, just throw that on, you'll sleep warmer. Uh, the other piece of gear, because everyone knows about Patagonia, is C uh, Champion 7 Power Cool uh, boxer briefs, especially the long trunk ones. Those, nobody knows about them. Everyone's been sleeping on them. But that is the most comfortable hiking underwear if you're a guy that you can wear. Like, I wear it, I wear them all the time. They're the only boxers, boxer briefs I wear. And I hiked the PCT with, I think, two pairs of those. And they never wore out. They never stunk up. They never chafed. Like, champion, it'll say C7 on the uh, waistband. But, yeah, power cool. That is highly specific. And that is a very good pro tip. Uh, actually, it's not a pro tip. Your gear review. Champion C7 Power Cool Boxer Briefs. Mm-hmm. Everyone's been sleeping on them. Everyone goes for the more expensive stuff, but you can get a two-pack for 25 bucks and just amazing. Okay. Quality gear. Very good. Speaking of quality and gear, I just want everybody to see on the YouTube video of this episode that I am representing Trail Mix tonight, which is the documentary, the Appalachian Trail documentary uh, put together by Glenn Schweitzer. So let me show some great, great shirt there with the Trail Mix logo on there. Shout out to Glenn Schweitzer, great friend, and looking forward to the release of his, his new Trail documentary, Appalachian Trail documentary. Trail Great documentary. job, Glenn. Okay, very good. All right, hey, let's back up a little bit before we get to the trail, and let's talk about your background. Where'd you grow up? What kind of hobbies and sports were you involved in, and how did you get involved in the thru-hiking cult? Man, uh, so I, mine's hella circuitous, but basically grew up uh, in Seattle, Washington, and you know, my mom was bringing me out for hikes as much as she could, and I hated it. I hated being outdoors. Uh, a lot of it, I just have bad memories of bugs. Just black fly season is no joke. Uh, so uh, basically, like, the whole hiking thing started when I spent a semester abroad in southern Spain because I lived way out, uh, like way away from the school, about three miles. And so every day, uh, because I didn't have a bicycle or anything, I just walked from my host family all the way up the Albicene to the, uh, to the uh, Alhambra Overlook. And that was where my school was. And I mean, straight up magical. If you ever get the chance, go to Granada. It's one of the best cities in Spain, I think. But I just got so used to walking that I, uh, when I got back to college, I was just sitting around. I was like, I don't feel right. I need to go walk like three to six miles today. And so I started walking around our arboretum at night. And that just kind of got me into loving the outdoors. But my first actual through hike was the Shikoku pilgrimage. Uh, and after that one, uh, yeah, I think after that one, I loved hiking, 
but I never really understood how magic it was until I actually finished writing the book because I basically spent three years indoors at a desk, just bashing this thing out and editing. And I went and hiked the Wonderland Trail around Mount Rainier Mm -hmm. on a break from the bar I worked at. And after that, I was hooked. Like once, once you hike around Mount Rainier or even hike close to it, you'll fall in love with that mountain. It's impossible not to, I think. Yeah. And did you also spend some time in South Korea? I did. I spent time in South Korea uh, as a teacher and huge hiking culture out there. Uh, did some really beautiful hikes. Uh, Mount Sorok is the best one, in my opinion. Uh, if you can, go in the fall. But yeah, that was mostly just to get out of the city. Um, but yeah, Mount Sorok is beautiful. Uh, and it's funny because the Korean hiking culture involves a lot of drinking. So there's soju stands at the bottom of the mountain. Soju stands usually midway up the mountain. And it took me a while to realize, like, if I saw an old man stumbling around on the uh, subway on a weekend, he wasn't sick or having an episode. He was just hammered after going hiking. And and what is, for those of us not familiar, what is a soju stand? Oh, soju is Korean white rice wine. It's basically the, it's the drink of Korea. Got it. Got it. So they do it right over there, huh? They love it. You know, when I was uh, hiking the JMT, we got to the top of Mather Pass. And after that ordeal, I was expecting some kind of, uh, I was hoping for a Jamba Juice stand up there, but uh, (laughs) there, there was nothing, no welcoming committing nobody. So that's pretty yeah it's uh why you always got to bring your own it's byob that's right for sure for sure so let's talk a little bit about your book and what uh your inspiration was you mentioned the shigoku uh, shikoku shikoku uh pilgrimage tell us about that and how did you end is it in japan it is in japan yeah so So, how'd you end up in japan how'd you hear about this uh take us through everything so the as the story goes, I was just obsessed with Japan from a, from a young age because I was like, oh, that's where ninjas are from. So, you know, if you grew up in the 80s and early 90s, all of your cartoons had a ninja. Uh, so, and, you know, they were pretty cool. They uh, even ate pizza and lived in a sewer. So, you know, I'm sold. Uh, and as I got older, I just kind of kept being fascinated by Japan. I got into Zen Buddhism. I started practicing martial arts and I took this class on Japanese religion, religion and culture. Uh, cause I was just like, whatever they'll, I'm sure one week I'll be on ninjas and I'll have an easy B. Uh, you know, they weren't, but, uh, while I was, while I was taking that class, one day the professor showed this documentary on the Shikoku pilgrimage, which is this 750 mile trail that starts uh, on Shikoku Island, which uh, is Japan's smallest and most rural Island. And it visits these 88 temples dotting the rim of the Island. It's 750 miles long. And at each temple you stop, you say a set series of prayers And then you get this beautiful calligraphy done of the temple's name and you move on. 
and it just sounded magical. These temples are, you know, nestled in cedar forests and perched on mountaintops and, uh, you know, in waving rice fields and beside the Pacific Ocean and the Seto Sea. And I was just like, that sounds incredible. And then I forgot about it for eight years until I was at a job I hated thinking like, all right, well, you're 28 and, you know, so I guess now's the time to be miserable for the rest of your life because, uh, you know, the job pays okay. It's all downhill from there. Yeah, that's what, it, that's what I was told. And I just was sitting there like, okay, th- this can't be it. You know, I've backpacked across Europe. I have taught English in South Korea. I got to do one more thing, you know, one final, one final uh, one for the road, you know? And I was like, what can I do? And then I thought, and then it just flashed back in my head, like, oh, the pilgrimage. Uh, And then I did no preparation and got to Japan and it was the hottest summer on record and my shoes didn't fit and I don't speak Japanese. And uh, I got charged by a boar my first day, spent the third day collapsing from dehydration. Two weeks in, I was uh, hiding out from guards in a toilet stall all night. I broke a piece of an ancient temple and got a leg infection. Uh, And then I ran off because I was like, I don't know how much ancient temples cost, Uh, you know, in my own idiocy, because these temples are rebuilt constantly. It's not like wood lasts a thousand years, but I was such an idiot. I was just like, oh man. And so ran off, got a leg infection because that's how karma works. And uh, then a couple of days after getting my leg infection taken care of at the doctor, got into a karate match with a priest on a mountaintop at dusk, which was the coolest thing ever. And that's uh, all in my book, Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains, available on Amazon in ebook, audiobook, and print. Nice plug there, right there. Thank you. It's very natural. (laughs) Up until that karate match on top of the mountain, uh, you made it sound so appealing with all these all all these things that went wrong. Oh yeah, no. If if you're not an (laughs) idiot, it's fantastic. (laughs) If you're 28 and don't do any research and it's your first through hike, everything is harder. Right. But yeah, I mean, and even it's beautiful though. Like I. You know, for any of your listeners, look it up, read my book, mm-hmm. but do your own research. And it's, I think, life-changing. And those temples are gorgeous. There are some of them, like one in this cedar forest that looked like some cedar cones opened and just a temple grew instead of uh, another tree. Um, yeah, that's the Pacific Ocean is beautiful out there. Some parts look like Hawaii. Uh, there's all these mountains you, ha- you get to cross, and it's an incredible culture. Uh, right. And so the people are so nice. There's this tradition of giving gifts to uh, walking pilgrims. And it, uh, yeah, it just, it'll fill your heart if you do it. Okay. Now, Snake Eyes, I've got some questions. Sure. Okay, here we go. So how does how did the pilgrimage and what you had to bring with you, how did that differ from a traditional American long trail through hike? Well, for one thing, 90% of the Shikoku pilgrimage is on concrete. So uh, you want to wear different shoes. I wore shoes with a metal rock plate 
that I hadn't road tested. And so every step hurt. So do not wear shoes, wear walking shoes, basically. Um, you don't need to pack as much food because there is, there are convenience stores along a lot of it. I mean, I couldn't find food because again, just, I don't know why I was an idiot. I lost, I think 30 pounds in three weeks, but if you're going, you don't need to pack a lot of food. You don't need to pack days worth because you'll most likely be in civilization. You'll be in civilization for most of it. Um, you'll also address differently if you want to do it correctly. You need, you'll be wearing a, uh, a sedge hat, you know, like uh, people who work in rice paddies wear. Mm -hmm. You'll also be wearing a vest uh, that announces that you travel with the monk the pilgrimage is based on, who is Kobo Daishi or Kukai. And you'll be carrying a walking staff, which also represents Kukai traveling beside you. And when, whenever you go into your tent uh, or into one of the free lodgings for walking pilgrims, who are called Henro, uh, you have to very reverently wipe the bottom of the staff and place it in a corner uh, wherever you're staying. Um, let's see. Uh, other than that, I mean, you don't really need to bring a lot of clothes and you will have a lot more access to like showers and stuff, but it all depends on how much you want to pay. If you want to pay a lot of money, you could have lodging every night. It's more like the Camino de Santiago than it mm -hmm. is a traditional through hiking trail. Got it. Got it. How, how, how much did your pack weigh? <sighs> or, how, or how much, how much could your pack weigh? Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, I think my pack was like 45 pounds or something. Cause I also was carrying uh, a stamp book, a journal, a map book. Um, and also, you know, I just, I didn't know how to pack at that point. I was bringing a lot of town clothes that I don't think I needed. Right. If you had to do it over again, how much would your pack weigh? I mean, if I had to do it over again, my pack would weigh about 35 pounds, I think. Okay. All right. But I don't do, uh, I don't do the whole like ultralight packing thing. I, I really don't pay attention to pack weight anymore. You're not, um, cut, you're not cutting the straps off your pack or drilling holes in your toothbrush to save the grams? No, no. Uh, I think, uh, to be honest, I think that's, I get it. But at the same time, I think ultralighters are their own cult and they bug me because I got a lot of judgy looks for my pack and I finished the PCT. My pack was hella heavy and I was mostly comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Through hiking is definitely a cult and there are several uh, branches of, of subcults within that. So for sure. Yeah. What are the other ones you think? Oh, okay. Um, Cause you got the cultural lighters. You've got the cold soak, cold soakers. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is, it's kind of a sub, it's a sub branch of the ultra lighters, right? Mm -hmm. They did not bring a stove. So they're, they're just going to cold soak everything. Yeah. Although to be honest, I've, st I've given up my stove. I just bring like tortillas and peanut butter and like mayo and salami and tuna. And I don't miss a stove. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't need the coffee in the morning. I just want to eat and get out and move. Okay. Yeah. So 750 miles, how long did it take you? It took me 42 days. 
So about 18, 20 miles a day. I think I would have, if I had to do over again, the one thing I'd do differently is I'd wear comfortable shoes because that really was what was pushing me to like get this thing done, take these fucking things off and burn them. <laughs> because, uh, you know, 2010, Shikoku Island, no one had size 12 feet. So I was just stuck with them. Uh, Ouch, that's but, painful. And if, yeah, your feet, if your feet are hurting. Every that's day, all, every that's step. All you, that's all you can think of. Yeah, it. Uh, I mean, like everything else on the pilgrimage, it became its own lesson. But uh, yeah, if I had to do two over again, I'd wear better shoes. And uh, anyway, so if I was wearing better shoes, I would have built in at least one to two zero days a week just to chill out and enjoy Chicago Island. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 42 days. Okay. Very good. Let's talk about the, the title of the book, Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains. Mm. How, did, how did you arrive at that title? Uh, it took a long time. Titles are really hard to think up if anyone's thinking of writing a book. Um, but Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains kind of was the two, uh, the balance of what that pilgrimage was. Because on the one hand, you know, in my brain, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to on an ancient pilgrimage and this, you know, foreign land that I've been obsessed with forever. And, you know, it's watched a lot of anime and Kung Fu movies. And so I'm going to be like, you know, using all the karate that I've been learning to like fight monks and some old guy's going to give me a sword and be like, you are ready now. And I'll be like, of course I am. Thanks for noticing. And uh, then there's the harsh reality, which was on a, the third day on a mountain called burning mountain because I was unprepared because I didn't know what was coming. I was collapsing from dehydration for six hours. Like I would stand up, take 50 steps and fall back down. And I just was at a certain point was like, I might pass out here. I might die here. I don't know. But at the same time, I was like, I am not turning back. I'm going to keep going and I will finish this. And it's not just because I don't want to go back home and be like, yeah, guys, it was really hard. I know I talked about it for a while, but man, third day, it just got tough. So fuck it, you know? (laughs) Although God, I, someone, when I hiked the PCT, someone quit the first day. I, it still blows my mind. It's like, what did you think this was? You, you had to sublet out your apartment. Or something. That's soul crushing right there. Ouch. I, I, it blows my mind that anyone would quit that the first day. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So fighting monks and burning mountains is like the expectations of this, you know, magical, exciting, crazy journey. And the reality of this is serious. You need to be serious about it. You're, you weren't prepared and you will be dealing with this the entire time it's kind of the yin and the yang right there yep a little of each very good very good so this i can tell just from the way you talk about it and the fact that you came back and and wrote a book about it that this has made a lasting impact on your life yeah without a doubt um yeah nothing in my life like there's 
tons of lessons in that book, but I will tell you that nothing in my life physically has ever been as hard as climbing to Burning Mountain. Like no day on the PCT, no day bicycling across the United States, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing has ever been that hard. And it really set a, uh, set a level for what I can do. So I usually save this part for later on in the episode, but since we're right here talking about this meaningful trip, uh, let's do a top five. Let's do the top five moments from the Shikoku pilgrimage for Snake Eyes. What, what are top your five. top five memories? Could be anything from the trail. Top five uh, experiences, top five sites, top yeah. five lessons learned, or a combination of any of those. Sure. I would say one of the first off the bat that I can think of was this night I got, got to a temple, went through all the ritual. And then I was wandering around and there was this statue garden in the back of the temple. And I had no idea what the statues were. They were all these life-size grotesquely carved figures, all individual no one resembled the other. Like there was a drunk and there was a warrior and there was like a guy who had a mouse for a pet and a guy who had like a dragon. And I later learned those were the 500 Rakan who were the first 500 followers of the Buddha. But it was just this beautiful, eerie, unique, idiosyncratic moment where I was just walking through this beautiful thing that I didn't understand but that was so clearly meaningful. Uh, you can add all the metaphor and symbolism into that you want. Okay. Uh, and then let's see, uh, my first, oh God, the ramen. I'll never forget how good the ramen was, uh, especially when I was hungry. But there was this, um, I was always hungry. And there was this festival like an open air festival, you know, the kind where kids win goldfish and bags and stuff like that. But yeah, there was just this ramen tent and it was just the most rich, delicious tonkatsu pork ramen that I'd ever had in my life. You know, when you're hungry, when it's hot, you've been sweating and you just get this spicy, salty, delicious, rich, calorie thick uh, food. That was something else. I'm going to venture to guess it's a little bit better than the ramen I have on on my trips. (laughs) Nah, it's not better than Nissan. That's uh, that shit's (laughs) uh, gourmet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then let's see, fighting the priest on the mountaintop. That was one of the coolest things that I've ever done. That's I've, uh, I've made this joke before, but you know, if, uh, like I, I've told my wife, I have to be like a really, really good husband and a really fantastic father for you to put that on my tombstone instead of fought a priest on a mountain on a mountaintop temple at dusk. Because like that's an accomplishment. That's going down. That sounds pretty uh, epic. How how did that come to be? Uh, and, and who won? That's what I want to know. I mean. He won because uh, he laid a uh, low block into my infected leg, like right onto the wound. And I was like trying not to throw up. And I was just like, all right, you didn't win, but I am done fighting today. <laughs> uh, it Short story, because uh, 
I, you know, read the, read the book if you want to hear the long one. But uh, it came about because I was uh, practicing karate every night because I was preparing for my black belt. And I got to this temple at dusk and got into a good conversation with the priest. Uh, he complimented me reading the uh, prayers. And, you know, then he was like, why are your arms so big? And I didn't know the Japanese for I can't find any food here. So because I looked like Bane with cancer at that point. And so I was just like, oh, I do Kyokushin. And he goes, oh, I do Gojiru. And then we got into a conversation. And, you know, then I asked him if I could practice karate after everyone had left. And then we just kind of shared a look. I raised my fist and said, Kumate. He said, Kumate, which means to fight. And then we just squared up and I had a karate match with a priest on a mountaintop temple at dusk one night. And uh, yeah, that was just, it felt like my reward for everything else I'd gone through on that pilgrimage. It felt like a reward right up until the time he nailed that infection on your leg. Yeah, it was not rewarding at that point. Yes. <laughs> it was All just right. another thing that went wrong. So that's, let's see, three. That's three, um, yeah. Let's see, four. Uh, there, so like I said, my shoes didn't fit. And so I would have to cut blisters, uh, you know, drain them, bandage new ones. Like my feet were just getting chewed up. And there was this one night I stopped early and three times a day, I'd have to take care of my feet. And I just, I took off my shoes and I was so tired and I looked down and I just started laughing because my shoe, my feet were so covered in bandages, it looked like I was preparing them for Egyptian burial. <laughs> like it just, it, they looked mummified at that point. Uh, and then, man, uh, I think the the fifth one I'm gonna say was the. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna cheat and do two more. Uh, okay. One was finishing the finishing the pilgrimage and getting the final stamp in my stamp book because the stamp book was, it, it's amazing. It's my favorite possession mm -hmm. or one of them, but it was always a hassle, you know, it, like you had to show up at a temple during the open hours. You know, if I came to a temple at five o'clock and it was closed, I'd have to wait around and I'd have to camp there. Couldn't go further until it reopened. Then I could get the stamp. And at the end of the pilgrimage, you know, when it was all done, I started looking through the stamp book and I just saw every, every page, I would see the person who signed it, like in my memory, like everyone, I could see where I was. I could remember how I felt. And it was this moment where I was just like, wow, you know, every page was this beautiful thing that I didn't enjoy at the time because I was just thinking about something else. Thinking about your was, feet. Yeah, exactly. Thinking about my feet, thinking about how hot it was. And um, the other, the last thing I'll say, which I think is, I don't know like how it is with, through, with other through hikes because I just know Shikoku because that was my first. But I left, after I finished the pilgrimage, I left Shikoku Island by ferry. And so it was overcast that day. I remember it was just, you know, dreary day on an Island. 
And I got on the ferry and the ferry pulled away. And I could, suddenly I realized like only Shikoku was under the clouds. Like the sun was on me. And when I started the pilgrimage, even the first day, it felt like I'd been there forever. Like it felt like, I, I mean, you know, not like I didn't have a memory of before, but the first day was just like, I've always been on Shikoku. And that's how it felt for 42 days. You know, it felt like I was there forever. And then the ship pulled away and I looked back and I was just like the spell broke. And I was like, wow, that was only 42 days. I was just going to say, month, yeah, sounds, that's a month like and a half. Sounds like you were under the spell of Shikoku. Yeah. Like I'm, I don't say it much in the book because I wanted to make, I wanted to make the book sort of a memoir and a travel guide, mm -hmm. but that Island is magic. And uh, I'll flat out say that, you know, now, but mm -hmm. yeah, there's some magic shit that happened. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, go do the Shikoku pilgrimage. If, uh, if you're ever available and read my book beforehand. So you don't make mistakes. Okay. One more time. Where can we get your book? On Amazon, Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains and Misadventures on a Buddhist Pilgrimage. Okay, and how many pages? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's less than 300. Okay. All right, very good. Yeah. So pause the podcast right now and go on Amazon, order your copy. And we are going to take a quick break. When we come back from break, we're going to hear uh, some more adventures from some of your other experiences, like bicycling across the United States and hiking uh, Wonderland Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and the Colorado Trail. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. This is Paul Barak, the author of Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains, Misadventures on a Buddhist Pilgrimage, and you are listening to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. And welcome back. We are talking to Snake Eyes. We just heard about his uh, Shikoku pilgrimage in 2010 and the subsequent book, Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains. And now we're going to venture into another big adventure of his, which is bicycling across the United States. How did, how did you get this idea in your head? And what are the, the logistics involved with making a trip like that? So that idea I got in my head because of a art film called Koyana Skatsi, uh, which... That's was, easy for you to say. Yeah, right. Easy for me and the Hopi. Uh, so it, it was this art film where it's just montages of montages and footage that sped up and slowed down, but all of the United States. And so I watched it in college and, you know, was frequently stoned and I just like loved this movie. And as I got near the end of college, I was like, I realized I have not seen most of the United States. Like I went to college in Minnesota. I lived in Seattle for all of my life. Uh, you know, I'd seen California, I'd seen Oregon, but I had no idea what was in the middle. And so I thought, okay, well, you know what? I would like to go kind of feel this country. Uh, but I, I hate driving because I feel like you can't really appreciate anything when you see it out of a windshield. So I said, I'm going to ride my bicycle across it. 
and uh, worked, saved up, and left my job and spent two, three months, two and a half months bicycling across the United States. I would have spent longer, but my uh, best friend was getting married and kind of sprung that wedding date on me. So okay. had to shorten my trip a little. So let's talk starting point, ending point, and what kind of bike you were, you were riding. Sure. Uh, starting point was my training ride went from Seattle to San Francisco along the Highway 1 and the 101. And then my bicycling trip across the country started in Yorktown, Virginia, and ended in Anacortes, Washington. And I used a 2012 Novara Randonnée, which is a uh, REI-built bike. Uh, I think it's 28 or 38-pound steel frame. Oh, heavy bike. Heavy, but it soaked up the road. And yeah. that thing... That thing survived crashes into trucks. That bike's indestructible. I still have it. <laughs> no, I know that there is a, a Trans Am uh, course that goes mm -hmm. from Virginia. I think it's to Oregon. Did, yeah. your, did your route follow th the majority of that or did you? Yeah. So I, at that point, I was buying the uh, bicycle maps from the, uh, from the organization that runs that. Yeah, so Yorktown, from Yorktown, Virginia mm -hmm. to, um, I think Pueblo or something, uh, I was on that. I was on that trail, and then I extended it up to the northern one, the northern trail, so up to Whitefish, uh, Montana, because I had a friend there and I wanted to hike Glacier, mm -hmm. and then from Whitefish went through uh, Idaho all the way to Anacortes, but. Okay. I think the other one ends in like Astoria, Oregon or something. Which, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And if you have not listened to the pod, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple episodes to, to be a starter pack just personally for you, Snake Eyes. One is uh, Keith Foskett's episode. He wrote The Last Englishman about his uh, – it's a PCT memoir. And oh, cool. just a very funny guy, hilarious. Uh, he's, he, the title of the book is The Last Englishman because I think there were three Englishmen on the trail that year and he was the he finished very, very late. So he was mm. the last Englishman on the trail. And then the other one I'm going to recommend is I talked to um, long distance bike racer Lael Wilcox and she took up competitive racing, long distance racing on bikes, I think in 2015 just picked it up. And in 2016, she won the Trans Am. Wow. Uh, male, female, she, she won it. And she caught Stefan from Germany with a hundred miles to go, hundred miles from the finish line, wow. caught him after 4,100 miles and uh, put him in, put him in the rear view and, and won the race. It's quite a story. I told her I'm ready to see the movie on that, but uh, that she's bonkers. Yeah. So two great episodes that I think you'd be really interested in. Yeah. I'll check them out. Okay. Was she so, hallucinating at the end of that? She, well, Stefan, that to her to her advantage, Stefan was hallucinating. He was uh, he 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 was trying to keep his lead on her and was only sleeping like you know an hour a day, and uh, he actually ended up going the wrong way at some point, mm. and she ran into him uh, heading her way, and she realized that he was going the wrong direction, and this was who he was trying to avoid. So, quite a story, quite a finish, uh, pretty wow. incredible. Yeah, I'll check it out. Okay. So what, uh, what parts of the U.S. were your favorite to see firsthand from the handlebars? Uh, man, 
definitely uh, Wyoming and Montana. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, going down the one and the 101, like the Oregon coast is actually the Washington coast and the Oregon coast and Northern California are incredible. Um, bicycling through the redwoods was so great because you can just look straight up, you know, you can't do that in a car and you just get so much more of a sense of the scale when you're in the air. But yeah, like going past the Tetons, being able to bicycle around Yellowstone is incredible. Like though you are so close to the bison, it is terrifying, but you also don't get caught in the traffic. So you can just go and it's so freeing. Um, And then, yeah, Montana. Montana was just uh, beautiful, surrounded by those mountains. Colorado was really nice, I remember. Uh, Yeah, the whole whole continental divide uh, was just an amazing part, except Pueblo, uh, which uh, I hope not to lose any listeners, but man, fuck Pueblo. Oh, wow. It's a strong opinion on Pueblo. What happened? I did. I just, it felt sketchy the moment I got there. The second, like, the second I stopped pedaling at a stop sign, someone pulled up and, like, offered me meth. I was just like, I'm on a bicycle. (laughs) What am I going to do with meth? Uh, And they was like, heroin? And I was like, no, I'm on a bicycle. Um, But, yeah, like, Colorado's great. Um, Yeah, the whole, one of the things that actually struck me, which I think, not a lot of people would appreciate was the whole center of the country used to be a shallow ocean. And it really, it parts when you're bicycling through the more abandoned sections of Wyoming that no one really likes. Uh, It really just struck me that, yeah, this was formed by currents. This was laid down, you know, so long ago. And it, it was what I wanted when I bicycled across. It was like, I feel this landscape. I understand this landscape. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, depression on my gas pedal or letting off of the gas pedal. It's like, this is a world that was formed before me. Mm -hmm. This is a world that I am much smaller than and that I am just passing through. Yeah, there's something about making long trips under human power that kind of puts things in perspective. It really does. Like on the PCT, I remember get having that experience a couple of times where you just realize like I'm just passing through. Like these are all like all these views are just you know, these are the art pieces in a museum. The museum's going to be there forever. I'm the one who's transient. That's right. Those views were there long before you and they'll be there long after you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hopefully yeah, not knock on wood. Yeah. Right. Yep. Protect your national parks, people. So uh, total mileage on your cross country bicycle trip. Oh man. I haven't thought about that in a while. I think 4,700, wow. 47. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I was doing about a hundred miles a day. Okay. And any uh-oh moments, any moments where you found yourself other than Pueblo, 
Any other moments where you found yourself thinking, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into here? The entire fucking state of Kansas. Really? The entire state of Kansas was a goddamn nightmare. You know, I I've, still remember it. So I, I asked, I've talked to a couple of people who have done some long, some long bike rides uh, like this. And I, I've asked them about you know, favorite parts. And I think it was Lael Wilcox for sure. And I cannot remember the, the other person I talked to. But they both raved about the state of Kansas. They said, you'd be surprised what I'm going to say right now. But Kansas was awesome. You didn't have that same experience. I bet they had tailwinds. Oh. Because normally the tailwinds, the winds are going from, when you're going across Kansas, they're going from east to west. So like the first day I got into Kansas, like I barely had to pedal. Like it was just easy. And I was like, God, this place is beautiful. Look at all these you know, uh, fucking cornfields and these silos. Man, what a what a neat place. And then this storm system hit in, I think, Texas. The temperature skyrocketed to like 110. And there was just these like jet exhaust headwinds coming at me. I was pedaling as hard as I could for days and going maybe 10 miles an hour, maybe five. And it just, it sucks the moisture out of your mouth. It's miserable. You're dehydrated. And the worst part was that these huge trucks would be just gunning by me. And because of how physics works, they would create a vacuum as they passed. So my bicycle would get shaken into the trucks, like backwash. And one time, I swear to God, me, the bicycle, and all of my gear, like, 250 pounds of shit was lifted off of the ground in one of those tailwinds. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. So Kansas is not, was not a good spot for you. Kansas was the worst. Okay. I hate that place. Cause when you're going fast, it's great. When you're going slow, you realize how long Kansas is. <laughs> like I would see a silo three hours away finally get to it and then there'd be nothing and then another silo just in the distance and that was days of that so nice people but yeah i still hold a grudge against that state i don't think i'm ever going back (laughs) it it felt personal now when i think about a cross-country bike ride what comes up in my mind are the rockies Mm. and going over the Rockies or going through the Rockies. That, that sounds torturous to me. Was it, was it torturous? No, it was fine. Uh, I love the Rockies. I mean, I think I pulled a month. <laughs> My first day going up, I was kind of dawdling because I was like, God, the wind's gone. I'm in another state. <laughs> like, thank God. And so then I was like, you know, eating at a gorge somewhere. And uh, the waitress was like, oh, you're going to bicycle up, uh, keep going? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, be careful. And I'm like, yeah, I know, because of the cars, right? She goes, no, mountain lions. And I was like, ha ha, I'll take my check. And then I just like, it started getting dark and I started getting spooked. So I like was pedaling as fast as I could up the Rockies. And the air was like, you know what the air's like. And so I'm like sipping air because I can't gulp it because it's so thin. And the next day I pulled a rib because I was like breathing so fast trying to get up so a cougar wouldn't get me. But yeah, I mean, the Rockies are gorgeous. Um, 
I lived in Denver for a while and yeah, it's a beautiful country, but the best part of the Rockies as opposed to Kansas was there was a downhill. Yes. So once I got over it, I didn't have to pedal and it was just easy. Nice. Very good. And and any cougar sightings? Not that time. Okay. So, you know, thank God. But yeah, they're out there, man. All right. And uh, how long did it take you again? 4,700 miles? How how long did it take you? I think like 48 days, 49. Took a couple of zeros. Mm -hmm. All right. Very good. Yeah, it was great. Just look at some of the things that we've talked about already and some of the things we're going to talk about. Let me just go through them here. You get the pilgrimage. You got your, you wrote a book. You've got the bike tour across the country. You've done the PCT. I mean, th- these are, these are major items from a, a serious bucket list that you've, you've been able to just cross right off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm incredibly lucky. Very good. And so what, what's next? I mean, we're going to talk about some other stuff that you've done, but uh, what's next on this list? I feel like you, you've got momentum. You've got to keep it going. Um, next is the honeymoon uh, for me and my wife, uh, where we got married last year, a small ceremony. And, you know, uh, we were very lucky and she found an opening. So we got to raft the Grand Canyon, uh, which was oof, incredible. Uh, but yeah, I think... I would love to wait a second. You've already rafted the grand grand Canyon uh, section of it. Yeah. Yeah. Rafted the, the lower rapids. Yeah. The lower rapids. So that's another item for, on, on, that I can put on this list of, of incredible accomplishments by snake eyes. Yeah. I mean, it was a tour group, but you know, we were in the, we were in the, we were in the raft that was paddling most days and oh man, the rapids are just, that was so much fun. Little, it got spooky at one part, but man, the rapids are incredible. Uh, and yeah, so I think uh, the Annapurna Trail. And after that, after that, I mean, probably going to start trying for a kid. So okay, uh, going to be roaming a little closer to home. Yeah. Yeah. And where are you located right now? Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Oh, Pacific so, Northwest. There's a lot mm-hmm. to do up there. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try to hike the Wonderland Trail again this year. I uh, hiked the Three Sisters Wilderness last year. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, it's, I mean, I'm so spoiled. Like, mm-hmm. the Rockies are amazing, and I still am just kind of – I shrug at them half the time because I'm like, yeah, have you seen the Cascades? Mm-hmm. Like, the Rockies, but they have volcanoes. Like right. it's beautiful out here, man. Right. This is the paradise. So let's talk about the Wonderland Trail. You've you've already done it once, mm-hmm. and uh, we heard you raving about Mount Rainier uh, as you were, as you were discussing that. When when did uh, so you did the pilgrimage? You did the the bikepacking tour across the U.S. And then when did it kind of settle upon you that you know what maybe long distance hiking. Uh, where I carry everything on my back that I need to to survive is is a good idea. So uh, what put it in my mind was just I had been, once I got back from the bike trip, I had finally left the office job that I hated and I was on unemployment. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write this book. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, writing a book is unbelievably difficult and uh, congratulations to literally anyone who does it. It's an incredible feat. 
Um, so I'd spent like two years just staring into a screen, like going over, you know, the same words. And after, after the book was done, I sent it to an editor and I was like, oh, I'm done. There's, there's literally nothing I can do right now. And so I'd always been like, it come into my head in a, in those couple of years, like, holy shit, we live around volcanoes. How wild is that? You know, like my state has a volcano that erupted relatively recently, like Mm -hmm. two years before I was born. And so I'd been, you know, looking at Rainier and I was like, well, are there any long hikes? Because I, at that point I was working uh, as a bartender at the Mariners stadium. The Mariners are a baseball team and they had this long away stretch. And so I was like, well, are there any long hikes, you know, just clear my head. And I looked it up or I think someone told me about it and they're like, yeah, there's the wonderland. You ever considered that? And I was like, that sounds perfect. And it turns out like there's a lottery system for the wonderland and a bunch of stuff. But if again, you're unprepared and lucky like me, uh, you can also just go up there and they reserve 10% of the tickets for walk-ups. So I just called up and I was like, Hey, what are my chances? And the ranger was like, well, if you're flexible with your distances, come try. So I went up and I was like, okay, I want to go here, here, and here. And they said, okay, you can, if you change it up a little, you got your, you got your pass. So I started, so I brought a backpack and it was my first time really bringing all my food. It was amazing to me now, but I like, I made it off of one boil bag for breakfast a tortilla and peanut butter for lunch and then a boil bag for dinner. And I didn't bring anything else. And thank God hiker hunger takes two weeks to kick in. (laughs) So I just did the, did most of it. And then my mom came and met me uh, at Longmire uh, and I hiked a little bit with her and she gave me a little resupply and I finished up, but yeah, it uh, something that like, I came to at that point that I still feel is like, you know, I'm not a super religious person. I was raised Jewish, but I don't believe in like a God. Uh, But looking at being close to mountains, especially Rainier, I'm like, yeah, I totally see how that's a God. You know, I totally see how people worship those. I totally see like why you would believe that. It's like mountains, the sky slash the sun and the ocean are all things where I'm just thinking like, yep, if I didn't know any better, I would totally worship these things because they seem massive and unknowable. And yeah, Rainier, like I walked it, I, whatever the non-normal direction is, cause that's how I could camp. And it was incredible to wake up every day and just have this ivory glacier covered behemoth to my left as I circled and you know it'd come in and out of view and it just was stunning it was stunning to like see bears frolicking in a field it was stunning to see elk it was stunning to just 
be in this silence of this, you know, Tahoma literally means mother of waters. And there was no point on that trail where I didn't hear running water. I was either walking towards it or away from it, but it was never out of like, you know, hearing range. Mm -hmm. And it just was magic. It was just a magic time. I wish I'd kept a journal. You're taking all the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, massive and powerful and magical. And you, you've mentioned all those words before I could get a word in. So yeah, I, I could totally see how, uh, like you said, others, others could see that as, as, you know, being gods and, and a religious experience. Yeah. The thing is like, every time I go to Rainier, I think about like how big that mountain is. And like, you want to use a different word. You want to be like, no, it's gargantuan. It's like Titanic. It's colossal. It's godlike. But even those words like diminish how big that mountain is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's huge. It's, I think, I think it's the biggest mountain in America. It's either the top, I think it's the tallest. Like Whitney is higher but from base to top, I think Rainier is actually taller. Okay. So Seattle pride, you know. There you go. <laughs> and have you, uh, did you take pictures on that trip? I did, yeah. And did you bring those pictures home and did you show them to your friends and family and say, hey, look at this? Um, I mean, I posted them on Facebook, but I'm not going to lie, that camera sucked. Uh-huh. And, it, and I wasn't very good as a photographer at that point. But yeah, it was hard to explain to people like you know you know like when you get back from any through hiking it's like getting back from burning man and everyone's like how was it and you're just talking about this life-changing amazing thing that they have no frame of reference for Mm -hmm. and kind of wish you'd shut up about yes and you're just like no it was so quiet and i sat by this stream and it was just quiet by this stream and then they've stopped listening completely yeah (laughs) I'm going to share with you a poetic turn of phrase that was uh, given to me by another one of my guests, uh, Jay Wilson, who did the John Muir Trail, talked about the frustration of thousand word pictures in million word places. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something I realized on the PCT was like, I feel like pictures almost capture it better in a way because it's so big and so overwhelming that you kind of have to like capture it in this little box, just a little piece of it. And it's like, you're trying to capture this one line in this long poem, but you're just like, isn't this a cool line? They're like, well, what about the poem? It's like, I can't remember it. It's too long. Yeah. But it was amazing. You know, it's the best poem I ever read. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's that you captured exactly right. You come back and you tell people about it and they're like, yeah, it's great. You know? And you're like, no, 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 it's it's not just great. It was, it was life changing. It was, it was unbelievable. The picture does not do it justice. How, how massive uh, those mountains were. Oh man. Like, yeah, I, I was thinking about that reminded me of, uh, when I was on the PCT, I, cause you know, my family's still in Seattle. I got to go visit home, like in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Once I got to um, Snoqualmie pass and my sister it came over and she's like, how's the PCT? And I was like, you have to ask a more specific question. 
And she's like, I'm just trying to find out what you like, how it's going. I'm just being nice. I'm like, Kate, I, you honestly have to ask a specific question. I cannot tell you what it's like. It's too big. And then she just got frustrated and watched TV. And I went downstairs and I was just like, yeah, it's burning man all over again. Everyone's just (laughs) like, so is it like, is everyone on drugs? And it's like some of them, but there's also 14 foot tall walking robotic giraffes and a guy who hugs you and tells you that he's proud of you that you've never met. It's everything. Wait a second. And great music. The 14, the 14 foot uh, tall mechanical giraffes that was on the PCT. No, that was on the, uh, that was at Burning Man my first year. (laughs) It would have been great on the PCT. (laughs) Very good. And speaking of the PCT, we're going to get in depth into Snake Eyes' journey along the PCT in 2017 after this short break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Glenn Schweitzer, filmmaker for the film Trail Mix. You're listening to the John Frickin' Muir Pod. And welcome back. Talking to Snake Eyes, and we're going to get to that trip where he earned his trail name, Snake Eyes, the PCT. So tell us about how you went from the Wonderland Trail to saying, all right, that wasn't long enough. 2,600 miles, Mexico to Canada. That sounds about right. Let's do that. Uh, sure. Well, uh, starting off, trigger warning. It's a sadder story. But basically, uh, I so I finished writing the book. The book got published. I was living in Seattle. And uh, then uh, I was going to move to Denver uh, because I was doing – chasing a stand-up comedy dream at the time. Uh, And uh, my girlfriend and in many ways, best friend uh, committed suicide. So I, yeah. So I moved to Denver and, uh, you know, kind of started recovering, did some hiking out there, was working at a pot shop and um, was doing all right. And then in December of that year, this other girl, I was uh, dating. I didn't realize how mentally ill she was. And uh, she started threatening to do it. And I broke up with her because I was like, I cannot handle another one. Uh, You know, you really scared me. It was very triggering. And I just, I can't date you anymore. And uh, then the next day she killed herself. And so, yeah. Uh, At that point, uh, nothing really mattered. And uh, on New Year's, I was just like, okay, I don't really want to stay in Denver long term. And uh, I clearly am going through some stuff that I'm not even fully aware of, uh, because you can't come out of that okay. So I said, fuck it, I'm going to hike the PCT. So I put all my stuff in Denver in storage, flew down to San Diego and started the PCT because, you know, I was messed up anyway and sad and figured, well, might as well be sad in the paradise. You know, it's better than being sad in Denver because, man, those people are way too happy out there. It's like white person Disneyland. I swear to God. That, that, is, an, that is a lot to deal with. Uh, I want to thank you for the the alert. 
in advance? Yeah, well, I, you know, it, it's a hard thing to talk about, but to be honest, and suicide is a national epidemic in America, and we do not talk about it, and it happens a lot. It happens a lot more than I think we address it. So I think, you know, it should be mentioned and should be brought out into the light because it's not a shameful thing. It's an epidemic. Right. Yep, absolutely. And so this was New Year's Eve heading into 2017 that you made the decision? Yeah, heading into 2017. So I just said, I'm going to do it. And then basically in the span of, I think, three months, you know, got my gear together, made a plan. And luckily, I'd been able to save a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just said, fuck it, I'm going. And you know, we've talked to a number of people who have done long trails for various reasons and uh, have come out different people uh, on the other side of things. How, how did the PCT impact this trauma that you had gone through? So, I mean, a lot of ways, man. Like, Is that too big a question? Is that like asking how? No, it's, it's, not too, it's not too big a question. It's just a question I'm still working on because I'm like everyone who hiked the PCT apparently I'm trying to write a book about it too but uh so my so uh the, my first girlfriend Meredith uh killed herself on October 23rd of 2015 and uh the next year October 23rd 2016 was a bad day just a bad day uh because you know first anniversary is a hard one and you know, and then it got worse because uh, mm -hmm. Trump was elected and then uh, the other suicide. And so, you know, I went out on the PCT and the thing is being out there, like you're still hurting, mm -hmm. but there's also awe, you know, every day there's awe and every day has a purpose. Every day you wake up and you're like, I am going to go there. And you get up and you pack your bag, and you walk there. And on the way, as you're walking there, you see just beauty. And everyone's having a good time in this community. And it's powerful, you know? And it gives you time to really just process, you know, process what you've been through. And it gives you space. And it's also you know, you're alone, you're with people. But the thing that I've realized about hiking that's so great about hiking is you don't deal with bullshit. You know, you deal with what you need to do for the day. And if you fuck up, you get injured or die or it gets bad. But you're not dealing with like daily bullshit anymore. Your mind's not taken up with it. So you're really freed. But so the, the reason I mentioned the date is you know, I finished the PCT, I've found this gratitude for life that I hadn't had for potentially ever, I suffer from chronic depression. And I reach a high point in my life, you know, being on Half Dome, like one of three people up there for nearly an hour, you know, just this dream. After a day after a couple of days after, I'm like, 
crying because I'm seeing a sunset. I'm just so grateful that I'm there. And, you know, all that stuff just like stores up in you. And so it finishes and I go through like, this, like I'm worried to leave the PCT because it's been so great and so beautiful and the world is literally and metaphorically on fire at that point. Like Nazis are marching in Charlottesville. Ash is raining down on my family in Seattle. It shit's crazy. And the first ride that I get is with the, my first hitch after I finish the PCT, because I'm trying to get to uh, San Francisco because I know people there. And so uh, not to confuse your listeners, I flip-flopped because it was a bad snow year. So went around the Sierras and then got to Canada, came back. So I'm ending in like October, October 7th. So my first hitch is with an insane conspiracy theorist who's just yammering at me about the craziest shit I've ever heard after I get out of you know, this peaceful, quiet place. And, I'm, and then I get dropped off at a farm in uh, Chico right as the Sonoma fires are starting. So there's this just, you know, apocalyptic sky rising up, but it's also on a ranch. So I literally get to ride a horse into the sunset and I'm just like leaning down to the horse. Like, I know this is a metaphor. Like, I get it. <laughs> and then I get to San Francisco, you know, the first big city after this incredible journey. And I walk across the Golden Gate Bridge and ash is literally raining down as I walk. And I'm like, I get it. It's a metaphor. I get it. And then I fly out and I look down on, you know, I'm flying from San Francisco. I can see the whole stretch from Oregon to Washington. And I see just all of these places like Crater Lake and Adams and Helens and Rainier, just the, this, you know, a thousand miles that meant everything to me. And it's all covered in smoke and the fires are going. And I'm like, I get it. It's a metaphor. I get it. Land. And I'm ready to just go home and drink. And my dad goes, so do you want to meet your new niece? And I'm like, oh, fuck, right. Because my sister-in-law gave birth the day before I finished the Pacific Crest Trail. And so we go home and I'm just holding this new life in my hands. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're adorable. And I get it. Metaphors, metaphors. It's very obvious what's happening here. And so, you know, I immediately get sick the second I'm home because my entire body just crashes. Uh, and October 23rd is coming up. And, but I'm okay. You know, I'm feeling more okay because I've just been through this incredible journey where it was beautiful and I was okay. And the world around me was okay, even though the rest of the world's shit. And this friend of mine who I used to do comedy with, uh, really more of an acquaintance who I'd only spoken to like once, uh, we'd been liking each other's Instagram pictures. And so she was like, hey, 
uh, do you want to meet up for a beer? I'd love to hear about the Pacific Crest Trail. And I'm like, yeah, I love talking about myself. This will be fantastic. <laughs> and uh, she'd also just gotten back from this amazing journey where she got a university fellowship and went through like 10 countries over eight months. And so I'm like, yeah, perfect. Friendly beer. But it was October 23rd. But I felt so okay because of the PCT that it wasn't as bad. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll go and meet you because she was flying out to for her birthday the next day. So this was the only day we could do it. And we met up at a bar and uh, that turned out to be my first date with my wife. So that's how the PCT changed me. Outstanding. In two years. Yeah. That's phenomenal. It was something, man. Still is. Snake eyes. Would it, would it be safe to say as I, as I, as I'm trying to unpack everything that you've, you've talked about there, it sounded like going into the PCT that there was a serious lack of meaning in your life and that feeling of hopelessness and trying to make sense of the world. And it didn't make sense. And as you exited the PCT, you talk about all these metaphors and learning moments and insights into life. And so your life kind of transformed from this utter lack of meaning to now full of meaning. Uh, I went, I, I think what I learned from the PCT is that you can't be certain of your future. Like your future is open because you know, like October 23rd, I thought was always going to be a bad day. And now it's mixed, you know, it's a very bittersweet day for me. And uh, so like life I don't know if it's fair to say life was meaningless. Like it wasn't like I can't go on. It was cause I've uh, not the first suicide I've been through, not the first uh, tragic death. Um, but it was just a moment where it was like, I don't know what else to do here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else is going to be worth it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, going on the PCT was just a way to, like, I didn't expect to heal. I didn't, I try not to expect anything from a journey. Uh, but yeah, I, I was like, you know what? And there were a lot of people on the pil- or on the PCT who had gone through similar stuff. You know, mm-hmm. there was a uh, fireman who'd been so traumatized by what he'd seen just working in a fire department and had his coworkers had killed themselves in recent years. And so he went to try to heal another guy. uh, His friend killed himself, I think two weeks before he started the PCT, you know, it's common, like I said. And I think people go out there just to be okay. Cause like, um, so like the, when I hiked the Shikoku pilgrimage, I had a list of rules for myself. It was very set. It was regimented because I was like, this is going to be the big final thing, you know? And when I went on the PCT, I was just like, just be okay. Like, whatever you do, just be okay. You know, mm-hmm. finish this and, you know, you don't have to be stuck to rules. You know, you don't have to 
not listen to music. You don't have to, uh, I don't know, walk every step, although I did, uh, except for the stretch from uh, Lake Isabella to Kennedy Meadows. I didn't do that 70 miles. Uh, you know, it's just be okay. You know, allow yourself to be out here without judgment and without, I don't know, just without any preconception of you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Of course, I am very judgy about myself. So I always thought like, oh, you're doing it wrong. And oh man, you should have gone through the Sierras and risked all that snow so you could hike through all of the fires instead of doing it your way uh, when you got to see everything. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, I, I think I went into it with this view of baseline I'm going to see some pretty stuff. I'm going to meet some cool people and I don't have to just be in a city pretending that I'm okay and dealing with a job and dealing with people and just putting on a face. Cause you know, when you're going through trauma and grief and everything else, you don't want to bring anyone down. And I don't think our culture really allows for people to just be openly and outwardly, going through something, you know, it makes us all uncomfortable because we don't want to think like, Oh man, that could be me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The automatic response to, Hey, how, how you doing is yeah. Good. Yeah. Fine. doing I mean, Great. No matter how inaccurate that statement is. I mean, that's the standard response. That's the expected response. 99% uh, of the people that ask you, Hey, how you doing? Don't want to hear the truth. They, no, they of course you know, not. They're just a, you know, a, a standard courtesy greeting. So. Yeah, yeah, good, good point. And, uh, good point. But yeah, I'm a PCT, and also like, I know Burning Man has a bunch of problems, but I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, you actually get to be like, I'm not doing okay today, and people are like, okay. You know, they don't have to take on your emotional burden, but they'll be like, all right, I accept that. I listen. I'm hearing you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I, I, you know, I did a shout out to Glenn Schweitzer in his film trail mix uh at the beginning of the episode and his documentary is exactly about the healing aspect of the trail and it mm. wasn't he didn't realize that's what the documentary was going to be about it was only after he interviewed so many different people on the trail at so many different points of the trail and learned their stories and learned what they're going through and learned how the trail actually transformed them uh, and sent them to a better place that uh, became more apparent to him so that's a common theme that runs through these long trails and people figuring themselves out and figuring life out and working on stuff. Uh, another common theme that uh, you mentioned that comes back again and again is the singularity of purpose on the trail. And you put it, you put it, uh, it was almost poetic the way you put it, that you are, you, you get up and your, your sole purpose is to get to this point, uh, 10 miles, 15 miles, 25 miles down the trail. And, set up camp and then do it all over again. And everything yep. else uh, just falls by the wayside. All the, all the complexities that, of society. Yeah. And uh, something just that I thought of when you were saying that first point uh, that, you know, I've started thinking about a lot is uh, that these, these trail and this will go into my last point, but these trails have the answers for you. But they aren't, like trails don't perform miracles. They're just the trail. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's really, they have the clues and they have the, uh, yeah, they have the clues, they have the answers, but you're the one who has to put them together. And sometimes you're putting them together at the time. And sometimes you're putting them together in retrospect, but Mm -hmm. you know, the answers are there. It's just, they might not be the answers that you think you should be getting or you think you should be looking for. Mm -hmm. So always keep an open mind. Yeah. I think part of the magic of the trail and the healing part of the trail is that you are in your head for a long time. I mean, there's a lot of interior dialogue that and reflection that takes place and that's where, that's where things get sorted. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't know how anyone else does it. Me being in my head too often is ugh, <laughs> sick of that guy. <laughs> now, hey, I thought it interesting that you you brought up a point that uh, you're hard on yourself. You think you're not doing it right, and so I I want to hear what a typical day on the trail on the PCT. Pick a pick a stretch. Pick, pick a day from the middle of the trail. You've you've already got you know a thousand miles under your belt. What what's the uh, What's the average day on the PCT look like for snake eyes? Take us from the, from waking up in the morning. Let's say a thousand miles in. So I'd probably be in, man, it was so different. So I, I, uh, I'll tell you uh, the section that I hiked with um, my hiking partner, Black Widow. Um, So we would get up, I would be freezing because uh, uh, I totally should have. So like I said at the beginning, get a good puffy. I did not have one. I was freezing every night. I also didn't have a good sleeping bag. Get a good sleeping bag, invest in those. So I'd wake up freezing. I would take my tent down. My fingers would go numb. Uh, They still do. The second it gets a little cold, all of my fingers will go numb automatically. Uh, Pack up, make fun of, uh, I'd make fun of, uh, or Black Widow would make fun of me for being so cold in the mornings. I would make fun of her for being the two of us who got hypothermia. Uh, And then we would start off. Uh, I would try to learn a little bit of German from her as we were walking. Uh, she would learn a lot of sarcasm from me and uh, about, I don't know, for a couple of miles, I'd have headphones in. I'd be listening to a podcast about how the world was going wrong. Uh, just cause I don't know, like a lot of people say that you're just supposed to tune out out there. And a lot of people said for me, like, it's probably, you know, why are you making this worse? You know, just, keep it out but you know at that point and i still think this uh we were falling to fascism i still think there's a chance that we might so you know uh jewish people tend to pay attention to that kind of stuff you know we have a we have a historical memory um so yeah i'd walk with that and then i would see something i don't know what it would be that day that i'm thinking of it was a glacier on Mount Adams that we were passing by. Just this newly cracked glacier that had started to slide down. And, you know, it was smoky at that point, but it was still in those moments. And again, 
not ascribing this to any one deity, but I would see God. Those little moments, I would be like, I have touched, I can feel the presence of something much greater than me. And I feel a connection to it. And, you know, just would look at that, not for long enough, because there was never enough time, because we wanted to finish, you know? You spend too much time in any one place on the PCT, you burn your calendar, and then the snows come. And, you know, we'd sit and just bullshit around. We'd either be like, this is the most amazing thing ever, or sometimes we'd be like, man, that thing was so cool, this thing isn't and eat lunch. Uh, we had this, this woman I met who used to be a Hollywood caterer. She brought a bunch of food all the way back in uh, White River Campground, I think, way back in Southern California. And I was like, she just, her daughter had done the PCT. So she brought this huge meal for us, you know, mm -hmm. this chicken, just amazing trail magic. And I was like, Hey, you know, I write a blog. Uh, would you want to be on the email list? Uh, and she's like, Oh, no one's ever asked me that. And so I sent, so she gave me her email address and I sent her the blog. And then she wrote me back and was like, Hey, where's your next stop? And I told her, and she sent me a care package. And she kept sending me and black widow care packages through the entire hike. She sponsored our hike and she made this amazing cracker mix. And so me and Black Widow would be eating that cracker mix for lunch and like making sure the other person didn't have more cracker mix because, you know, we both wanted to not have it at the same time because we didn't want each other to be jealous of it. And uh, we just talk about how lucky we were to be out there or we'd talk about uh, how our families would never understand why we were out there or all the people who just were like, why would you, isn't it uncomfortable in the morning? Isn't it bad? And we'd be like, isn't traffic uncomfortable? Like you do it cause it's worth it, you know? And yeah, we just keep walking, see more beautiful stuff, make jokes about how we hadn't seen any bears. Uh, and then about five miles before the uh, destination, we'd eat dinner. So we didn't have any smells by the campsite. Walk another five, set up our tents and just, I'd fill out my journal for that night. Uh, I, w I had a folding Bluetooth keyboard. So I just like spend, you know, five, 10 minutes trying to remember every incredible thing I'd seen that day and not because it's too big. And then I would just pass out to a cold, cold sleep that uh, was never fully restful, but it was always worth it. Well, you know what, Snake Eyes? What? Sounds to me like you're doing it right. Yeah, I know. But man, the people, again, people who are true to the through, you know, that's another cult out there that, you know, I, it's amazing that people went through the Sierras with all that snow, but I, a lot of people quit because of that and some people died. And uh, yeah, I remember I, so yeah, flip-flopped, came, stayed some days, days ahead of fire closures. Like, I think I was the last 
I was one of the last people to see the Jefferson wilderness when it was still unburnt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely saw, you know, cascade locks before it went up. And so got to the, so got to the um, Northern terminus and turned around cause I hadn't taken care of a DUI from a decade ago. So couldn't get into Canada uh, and started walking back. And this guy who I'd met at a uh, hiker heaven, which was just like clothes torn, you know, like lost 20 pounds, but he'd done the whole through hike. You know, he made it through the snow and he finished at the exact same time that I did. And I was just amazed. And, you know, then I felt this guilt cause it's like, oh, God damn it. You know, if you just tried harder and gone through Kennedy Meadows and, you know, maybe whatever, whatever, that could be you. You know, if you'd hiked 40 miles without stopping uh, for a day through Oregon and not seen your friends, that could have been you. And then I just had this moment where I was yelling at myself alone in the North Cascades going, look, if you goddamn want to hike through the Sierras in the snow, you can go next year. But if you are but if you don't want to do that, then shut the fuck up and just enjoy this, you know? Cause it's like, you, you drive yourself nuts sometimes thinking about how you should do stuff. And it really takes you away from how amazing it is that you're even there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. So snake eyes, you know where we are? Uh, I mean, I'm in Tacoma. You look from your video like you're in the Sierras. (laughs) We are at that time of the segment where I ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. Okay. Also, since I've been wondering, is that uh, Whitney behind you or is that uh, Guitar Lake? No, it's actually actually Evolution Lake. And on the right side, that is Mount Mendel and Mount Darwin. Mm. Yeah. Man, yeah, Evolution Lake. That was... Man, yeah, that was after uh, Muir Pass. That's the one I was fucking weeping at, because like just this sunset, man. Yes, it was it was something else. Yep. Uh, all right, so advice time. Advice time. All right. So my pro tip, which is something I learned from the Shikoku pilgrimage and has served me well for everything else I've ever done in my life is don't define the journey while you're still on it. Because if you, like I was saying before, if you decide that your journey should be one thing, you will spend your entire time looking for the answers that make it that one thing instead of spending your time being on the journey and taking it all in. And... Yeah. Also, if you're not getting what you think you want out of the journey, then you will start that poison thought of what else could I be doing? And I saw, I saw a lot of people getting off trail because they were just like, well, what am I, this isn't fun. What am I, you know, why am I here? It's like, you're here to do it. You know, you're here to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. This is, this is the magic. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, sometimes it's not great. In fact, Southern Oregon was a fucking nightmare. Those mosquitoes were no joke. Sometimes you just have to embrace the suck. Yep. Embrace the suck. And also the suck is, you know, not just part of it, but (laughs) uh, don't, maybe the sucks the whole point. You'll find out later. 
Yes. Hours of torture for moments of brilliance. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well Sounds said. like writing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. That's it. Season two, episode 17 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Snake Eyes. I want to thank him for joining us this week. How can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures, Snake Eyes? Uh, you can find everything on my Instagram. That's the only social I have left. It is Barack Outdoors, B as in boy, A-R-A-C-H, Outdoors. And uh, if you want to find out more about what happened in Japan, Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains, Misadventures on a Buddhist Pilgrimage on Amazon. Very good. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakandmirror at gmail.com. Paul, I'm also looking to you to give our listeners your recommendation for a book, a movie, a documentary, a website, or a YouTube channel that will keep them connected to outdoor adventures. And we are just taking it as a given that their first, first book they should, they should look at is your book. So what, what else do you have for us? Man, uh, I just finished, uh, when I went to Raft the Grand Canyon, I read The Emerald Mile, and that book is amazing. It's about three people, uh, three river guides who take advantage of this uh, weather event that almost destroys the, uh, the dams that lead down to the Grand Canyon. They have to open the dams and the water levels rise to levels that they haven't been in, I think, a hundred years. So it's just shooting in this wooden boat down through the canyon. You get, you learn all about the geology of the canyon. You learn about the history of the dams. You learn about what was lost damming the canyons. And it's just an incredible adventure book. Uh, Movie-wise, if no one has seen it, Maru, M-E-R-U, yes, is an incredible documentary about uh, Conrad Anker, Jimmy Chin, and uh, Rezu Osterk yes. uh, climbing the shark fin of Maru route, which had never been done before. Uh, it's twists and turns. People almost die. It's crazy. And uh, when they succeed, it is your heart leaps with them. Two excellent recommendations. Thank you. And before we wrap things up, I'm starting a new segment, new this very episode called, What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Me About? Oh, snap. See, this is the problem. This is why people got to ask questions. Um, Let's see. Uh, You didn't ask me about the Colorado Trail. Uh, And all I'll say about the Colorado Trail is that it is also very worth a hike. It is go the, uh, I think the East Collegiate, the, whichever one is harder, it's worth it, but it is rough. So be prepared for that. But the colors of those mountains is something you won't believe. It truly just makes you realize how little time you've been around. Nice. Nice. So that is a wrap from the John Freaking Mirror Studio. Snake Eyes, I want to congratulate you on your marriage and your happiness. Do you have any shout outs to uh, friends and family? Uh, shout out to my friend Nick Busey in Denver. Uh, you'll get to those mountains again, man, and I'll, I'll meet you there. 
All right. Very good. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if there's a monk waiting for you at the top of the mountain to take you down with a karate kick. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment when you go out there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hogs cave Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.